Thank you for joining us around the fire. For more information or to make a donation, please visit randomactsnetwork.com. Now, want to hear a scary story? The messenger silently accepted the keys from the president of the bank and started for the stairs. Of course they wanted him to go down to the lower vaults. It was too dangerous for more valuable men. He'd been waiting on the steps, watching the human river swirling down Broadway. Few noticed him. Few ever noticed him. Everybody was talking of it. Even the president discussed it with the junior clerk. The comet the tail of which was set to hit at noon. But the messenger passed silently down the stairs on his assignment. Down he went beneath Broadway, where the dim light filtered through the feet of hurrying men, down to the dark basement beneath, down into the blackness and silence beneath that lowest cavern. Here with his lantern he groped in the bowels of the earth, under the world. Everything of value had been moved out since the water began to seep in, but two volumes of old records were unaccounted for. Drawing a long breath, he threw back the iron door and stepped into the fetid slime within. A great rat leaped past him and cobwebs crept across his face. He felt carefully around the room, shelf by shelf, on the muddied floor, and in every crevice and corner. Back in the far end of the long and narrow room, on a high shelf, lay the two missing volumes and others. He pulled them carefully aside when... A low, grinding, reverberating crash filled his ears. Then the room was black and still. He groped for his light, swinging it around. The great iron door had closed behind him. Looking death squarely in the face, he forgot the records. He found no other exit, and he pushed and pounded on the door for what seemed like hours. Then, the iron swung again on its hinges, hitting something, unable to open all the way. He squeezed through to find the body of the vault clerk, cold and stiff. He felt sick and nauseated. The air was foul. Gasping for air, he fainted, falling across the corpse. He awoke with a sense of horror and leaped from the body. He groped up the stairs, calling to the guard. The watchman sat as if asleep with the gate swinging free. The messenger hurried by. He called to the guards, and his voice echoed and echoed. Finally, he reached the basement. There another guard lay on his face, cold and still. He dashed up to the cellar floor, into the bank. The bent, bowed, silent forms of men lay everywhere. The sight was appalling. Had there been a robbery turned murder? He saw the twisted, oozing mouth of the president, half buried under his desk. Then the thought seized him. If he was found here alone with all this money and all these white corpses? He tiptoed cautiously to a side door. Quietly, he turned the latch and stepped out into Wall Street. How silent the street was. He glanced up and down, then across the street, and as he looked, a sickening horror froze in his limbs. With a choking cry of utter fright, he fell against the cold building and stared helplessly at the sight. In the great stone doorway, 
A hundred men and women and children lay mangled and twisted and jammed, as if in one wild, frantic rush to safety, they had crushed themselves to death. Slowly, the messenger crept along the walls, trying to comprehend, attempting to still the tremor in his limbs and rising terror in his heart. He met a businessman, stopped in place along the same smooth wall, stone dead with wonder on his lips. The messenger turned his eyes away and sought the curb. A woman leaned wearily against the signpost, her head bowed motionless. Before her stood a streetcar, silent but full and still. A grimy newsboy sat in the gutter with the latest edition in his uplifted hand. The messenger staggered on. Far out from a window above, a girl lay with her eyes and mouth wide, gasping. On a shop step sat a little sweet-faced girl looking upward toward the skies, and... The messenger could look no longer. The terror burst in his veins, and with a great gasping cry, he sprang forward and ran, shrieking and fighting the air until, with one last wail, he sank into the grass of Madison Square. When he rose, he gave no glance at the still forms on the benches, but, going to a fountain, bathed his face. He quietly gripped himself and thought the thing through. The comet had swept the earth, and this was the end. Was everybody dead? He knew that he must steady himself and keep calm, or he would go insane. He walked up Fifth Avenue to a famous restaurant and entered its gorgeous, ghost-haunted halls. He beat back the nausea and, seizing a tray from dead hands, hurried into the street and ate ravenously, his eyes closed to keep out the sights. As he forced food down, he realized, Yesterday, they would not have served me. Then he started up the street, looking, peering. He must rush to the subway. No, a car. He saw one and took his place in the seat. He tested the throttle. There was gas. He glided off, shivering, and drove up the street. Everywhere stood, leaned, lounged, and lay the dead, in grim and awful silence. On past crowds and groups of cars, past a gay party whose smiles yet lingered on their death-struck lips. He came back on Fifth Avenue at 57th and flew past the plaza, when he heard a sharp cry and saw a living form leaning out an upper window. The woman screamed for an officer before the words trailed off into hysterical tears. He wheeled the car in a sudden circle, running over the still body of a child and leaping on the curb. He rushed up the steps and tried the door and rang violently. There was a long pause, but at last the heavy door swung back. She was a woman of perhaps 25, rarely beautiful and richly gowned with darkly golden hair and jewels. They stared a moment in silence. She had not noticed before that he was black. He had not thought of her as white. Yesterday, he thought with bitterness, he would have been dirt beneath her silken feet. She stared at him. Of all the sorts of men she had pictured as coming to her rescue, she had not dreamed of one like him. Not that he was not human, but he dwelt in a world so far from hers. Yet, as she looked at him curiously, he seemed quite usual. He was a tall, dark, working man with a sensitive face and a poor man's clothes and hands. 
For a moment, each paused and gauged the other. Then the thought of the dead world returned. She cried. What has happened? All is silence. I see the dead from my window and... She dragged him to a sitting room where a maid and butler stretched in quiet, everlasting sleep. I had been shut up in my dark room developing pictures of the comet which I took last night. When I came out... The tears streamed down the woman's cheeks and she clung to his arm tightly. What has happened? He answered slowly. Something, comet or devil, swept across the earth this morning and... I have searched and I have seen no other living soul but you. She gasped and they stared at each other. My father... Where is he? He started for the office in the Metropolitan Tower. Leave a note for him here and come with me. We will go, but first we must go to Harlem. Harlem? But then she understood. There's a swifter car in the garage. I don't know how to drive it. I do. In ten minutes they were flying to Harlem on the wind. They took a turn on two wheels and slipped with a shriek onto 135th. He was gone but a moment. Then he returned and his face was gray. He placed something into his pocket. You have lost somebody. I have lost... everybody. Out of the park and down Fifth Avenue they whirled. In and out among the dead they slipped, needing no sound of the car horn. The Metropolitan Tower was ahead. Exiting the elevator car, they found the door of the office open. On the threshold lay the stenographer and, staring at her, the dead clerk. The inner office was empty, but a note lay on the desk, folded and addressed. Her father mentioned leaving with Fred for a spin in his new Mercedes. She cried nervously. We must search the city. Up and down, over and across and back again. On went that ghostly search. From Madison Square to the Williamsburg Bridge, over Brooklyn, from Morningside Heights. Silence everywhere. What can we do? It was his turn now to take the lead, and he did it quickly. In 15 minutes, they were at the central telephone exchange. The grim switchboard flashed its metallic face in cryptid sphinx-like immobility. She seated herself on a stool and donned the bright earpiece. She looked at the mouthpiece. She had never looked at one so closely before. It was wide and black, pimpled with usage. It looked... She beat back the thought, but it looked like... She turned her head and found herself alone. She spoke into the mouthpiece. Hello? She was calling to the world. Someone must answer. Hello! She called and called until her voice rose almost to a shriek and her heart hammered. Her voice dropped to a sob. She sat stupidly staring into the black and sarcastic mouthpiece, and the thought came again. For the first time, she seemed to realize that she was alone in the world with a stranger. With something more than a stranger, it was awful. She must escape. She must fly. He must not see her again. Who knew what awful thoughts? She gathered herself and glided into a side hall, shrinking back. The hall was filled with dead women. She leaped to the door and tore at it with bleeding fingers until it swung wide. She looked out. He was standing at the top of the alley, silhouetted, tall and black, motionless. Was he looking at her? or away. She did not know. She did not care. She simply ran and ran until she found herself alone amid the dead and towering buildings. 
She stopped, looking behind and sideways, startled by strange sounds. Voices? No. The wind? She wondered if she was the last woman left. Suddenly, she craved the company of the strange man once again. She whirled and flew back, whimpering like a child, until she found that narrow alley again and the dark, silent figure silhouetted at the top. He said nothing as he helped her into the car. Now he seized the wheel. She wondered at the quickness with which he had learned to drive her car. It seemed natural. They looked into each other's eyes with unspoken thought. To both, the vision of a mighty beauty of vast unspoken things swelled in their souls. But they put it away. Returning to her father's office, they gathered rugs and chairs. Leaving another note, they ascended to the roof. He set food before her and wound her in a shawl, touching her tenderly. She looked up at him with thankfulness in her eyes. He watched the city. She watched him. Have you had to work hard? Always. How foolish our human distinctions seem now. Yes. I was not human yesterday. She looked at him. And your people were not my people. But today... She paused. Slowly, the mighty prophecy of her destiny overwhelmed her. She was no mere woman. She was neither high nor low, white nor black, rich nor poor. She was primal woman. She looked upon the man beside her and forgot all else but his manhood, his strong, vigorous manhood, his sorrow and sacrifice. She saw him glorified. In fascinated silence, the man gazed at the heavens, looking outward toward the sea. Memories of memories stirred to life in the dead recesses of his mind. The shackles seemed to rattle and fall from his soul. He arose within the shadows, tall, straight, and stern, with power in his eyes, as though some mighty pharaoh lived again. He turned and looked upon the lady, and found her gazing straight at him. Silently, immovably, they saw each other face to face, eye to eye. Their souls lay naked to the night. It was not lust. It was not love. It was some vaster, mightier thing that needed neither touch of body nor thrill of soul. It was a thought divine, splendid. Slowly, noiselessly, they moved toward each other. The heavens above, the seas around, the city grim and dead below. He loomed from the velvet shadows, vast and dark. Pearl white and slender, she shone beneath the stars. She stretched her jeweled hands abroad. He lifted up his mighty arms, and they cried to the other, almost with one voice. The, the world, world is, is dead. dead. Long, Long live the... The cry of a motor drifted clearly up from the silence below. They started backward with a cry and gazed upon each other with eyes that faltered and fell, with blood that boiled. The mad cry continued. The roar and ring of swift elevators shooting upward from below made the great tower tremble. A murmur and babble of voices swept in upon the night. All over the once dead city, the lights blinked, flickered, and flamed. And then with sudden clanging of doors, the entrance to the platform was filled with men, and one with white and flying hair rushed to the girl and lifted her to his breast. My daughter... Behind him hurried a younger man in his car coat, who bent above the girl and gazed passionately into her staring eyes. Julia, my darling, I thought you were gone forever. 
She looked up at him with strange, searching eyes. She murmured, almost vaguely, Fred, is the world gone? Only New York. It is terrible. But how did you endure this horror? Are you well? Unharmed? Unharmed. And this man here, has he dared? He has dared to rescue me. And I thank him much. But she did not look at the messenger again. As the couple turned away, the father drew a roll of bills from his pocket, thrusting the money into the man's hands. Here, good fellow. What's your name? Jim Davis. Well, Mr. Davis, I thank you. I've always liked your people. If you ever want a job, call on me. And they were gone. The crowd poured up and out of the elevators, talking and whispering. Are they alive? He saved her. There she goes. Into the glare of the electric lights, the man moved slowly, with the eyes of those that walk and sleep. He stood silently beneath the glare of the light, gazing at the money in his hand and shrinking as he gazed. Slowly, he put his other hand into his pocket and brought out a baby's filmy cap and gazed again. A woman mounted to the platform and looked about, shading her eyes. She was brown, small, and toil-worn, and in one arm lay the corpse of a dark baby. The crowd parted and her eyes fell on the man. With a cry, she tottered toward him. Jim! He whirled and, with a sob of joy, caught her in his arms. W.E.B. Du Bois Told by Terry Lynn Hudson Featuring Aaron Holland Ashlyn Seehafer And Brian Renaud